the lymphatic system is its own bodily system, just like the muscular, the skeletal, um, but it often gets a little forgotten about. Um, so uh, what the lymphatic system is, is it's kind of a spider web of vessels and ducts and collectors and nodes, and it filters and cleans the fluid in our body every day. So its job is to help with the immune system, um, filtrate and manage the level of fluid in our body and then um, keep us healthy. So uh, removing toxins, um, even cancer cells, bacteria, anything that we're exposed to, its job is to collect it, clean it, and then get it back to where it's supposed to go. Um, so it looks very similar to the circulatory system, um, the cardiac system. It uh, is a um, circulation system in terms of the fluid continues to pass through the vessels. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and I'm actually having an old colleague on the podcast today. Her name is Marissa Horak, and she is an occupational therapist who specializes in lymphedema, oncology, and pelvic floor. She is Atlanta board certified lymphedema therapist and also has advanced specialty certifications in breast cancer rehab and male pelvic floor oncology. So the focus of our conversation today is about the importance of the, of the lymphatic system, how to know if yours is working properly and how to maximize its performance. So we've never really talked in depth about the, the lymphatic system on this podcast, um, I think it's something that we all take for granted every single day. So I know I'm going to learn a lot because I don't know a lot personally about the lymphatic system be beyond what we learn in school. So thanks for coming on and sharing your time and expertise with us today. Um, we just kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got into OT and then specialized in this area. Yeah. Thanks, Morgan. It's always good to spend more time with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we go way back to when I was like a new grad, which is crazy. So yeah. Um, yes. So I became an occupational therapist in 2016. I graduated from college of St. Mary, and then I started at Hillcrest, um, at a skilled nursing facility. And there I was, um, trained how to do kind of some backup lymphatic wrapping. And, um, from there I went to the Norton lymphedema school. There's four main, um, really prestigious lymphedema schools in the country and really internationally. So, um, that's one of the four and they came to Omaha, which was really exciting for the first time. Um, so I was able to go do, uh, almost 300 hours of training with them. And, um, it was like a two week long in-person class, uh, and then started practicing with patients. And then about a year later, I went and sat for my board exam, um, which is called the Lana exam. So, um, and then, Really, from there, I went to work at a cancer center locally um, and got more advanced certifications for breast cancer and uh, for female and male oncology clients, prostate cancer, uh, colorectal, 
And that's where um, I really saw the benefits of doing the manual side of lymphatic work instead of just compression and wrapping. So um, in my current role, we're really able to bring in the best of both worlds. And um, even knowing that there's benefits for the lymphatic system for general wellness. So I kind of went from, you know, the really um, more chronically ill population to kind of coming down to, well, there's something about this and it's really important to also do this before dysfunction sets in and before swelling sets in. I was going to ask you, I have a couple of of patients top of mind that we worked with at Hillcrest. I don't know if you worked with them, but I'm sure you've worked with patients who um, don't address the swelling early. So what can happen if people are having leg swelling or extremity swelling and they don't address it? Yeah. um, So actually what happens from there, lymphedema is a progressive um, disease. And so it's uh, staged. So stage three is the worst. And when it gets to that stage, the lymph fluid, which is a protein rich fluid starts to harden and you get um, non-pitting edema, which is where the uh, skin is very tight. It's very hard. You go to press in on a bony prominence and you actually can't um, press in. Uh, And usually that can actually result in, uh, that can be very fatal because you can get repeat cellulitis. Uh, you can go septic, get some, um, you know, the skin weeps, it opens, you get wounds, dirty fluid sits, you get infections. And there have unfortunately, um, been, you know, people that don't, uh, take very good care of themselves, or maybe didn't, weren't able to access the proper care. And then that can be really serious. So definitely getting, um, on the bandwagon. If you see swelling, you actually probably have had lymphatic dysfunction months and months and even years before you see the swelling. So that shouldn't be the first sign that we're looking for, but, um, sometimes conventional medicine, we don't really know what to do until there's actual swelling. Yeah. I think we're, we're in such a reactive state with conventional medicine. And so we want to take this conversation to be proactive. Exactly. Um, so let's kind of back up and just talk about what is the lymphatic system. People may be a lot more familiar with um, like the nervous system, you know, with nerves going from your brain down your body to innervate different muscles so that you can move or your blood vessel system with your veins and your arteries, but they might not be as familiar with the lymphatic system. So you can, can you just kind of start with that top-down approach? Yeah, exactly. Um, So you're right. The lymphatic system is its own bodily system, just like the muscular, the skeletal, um, but it often gets a little forgotten about. Um, So uh, what the lymphatic system is, is it's kind of a spider web of vessels and ducts and collectors and nodes, and it filters and cleans the fluid in our body every day. So its job is to help with the immune system, um, filtrate and manage the level of fluid in our body and then, um, keep us healthy. So, uh, removing toxins, um, even cancer cells, bacteria, anything that we're exposed to its job is to collect it, clean it, and then get it back to where it's supposed to go. Um, so it looks very similar to the circulatory system, um, the cardiac system. It, uh, is a, um, circulation system in terms of the fluid continues to pass through the vessels. So I actually have a picture here. I'm going to show you. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite picture, but it's convenient, uh, for me to use with clients. So you can see all the green vessels and then all the circles are lymph nodes. So we have five to 700 lymph nodes in our body. 
Um, and actually, the reason I don't like this picture, most of them are in our head and neck, but you can see there aren't any pictured here. That's where we have the most exposure to the outside world. So we need to filter the, um, the most fluid in that area. But what happens is uh, our blood, our system, um, circulatory system releases interstitial fluid. So in between the muscles, the joints, the skin, there's all this kind of fluid sitting around. The lymphatic system has valves and vessels. So the flaps open, they pull the fluid in, and then it moves down these um, little tubes to a lymph node. The lymph node then filters that fluid. It keeps pushing along, pushing along. Eventually, um, over 75% of our fluid ends up here in our abdomen where it gets filtered again and again. Then at the end of the day, our fluid comes up this big tube, our heart takes the clean fluid back and we urinate out the dirty fluid. So we're just constantly washing, grabbing what's um, infected, hopefully um, eliminating that from the body. So that's a kind of general overview of what the system looks like and its purpose. It gets a little more complicated, but. No, that's helpful. So I think it's it's essentially kind of like the housekeeping yeah. And removing fluid regulating system of the body. Right. Right. It's like if you had a little housekeepers all over and they're just grabbing trash and dusting things off and putting it back where it goes in a clean way. Exactly. Okay. So what are some signs that someone's lymphatic system might be a little bit sluggish or like, I don't know, out of whack? What are the major signs that we want to look out for? Yeah. So, um, generally, we will actually feel swelling before we can see it, or we will feel kind of that clogging up before you see it. So um, feelings of fullness, heaviness, or tightness are usually the three um, most uh, evidence has shown that that's what people report the most. So I've had people, um, for example, with like abdominal swelling, but they just feel like I just feel really heavy in my low abdomen or I feel tight. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. And that's because that level of fluid is varying throughout the day. Um, so beyond that, if you have actual starting to ac accumulation of fluid, um, shortness of breath, um, actual, uh, seeing actual swelling. So maybe at one in the morning, your joints look really good, but by the end of the day, you know, your joints are swollen. You can't see your ankles. Um, lack of range of motion, um, repeated infections. I've actually had some people with uh, repeated, repeated chronic sinus infections where we have found the lymphatic system is not draining the way it should and they get really puffy. Um, they didn't think they were puffy. They didn't know it was swelling. And when we do lymph drainage, magically they're like, oh, it looks like I've lost weight and I feel better. My infections are clearing up because we're getting that lymphatic system to do what it needs to. Okay. Well, I'm going to pause there because I've had a sinus infection, I think for like a month. Um, <laughs> it's clearing up, but, uh, antibiotics didn't do anything. And so I did try a little bit of like self lymphatic drainage, which I want to talk about. So I just want to like put a pin in the conversation right here yeah. so that we can come back when we're talking about what can we do about this? Because I'd like to learn more about how do I self drain my face and my neck the right way. And yes. all that. Because I just like one day, I just kind of like gave myself a face massage. I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing anything, but at least it's better than not doing anything. Well, and what's funny is if we're, you know, pause, the doctors will say, um, agree that people have sluggish lymphatic systems, but they won't agree to call that lymphedema. And at the end of the day, lymphedema is a, a pendulum. So yeah. you can have just a slow lymphatic system that eventually it's going to get you a swollen limb. 
Um, a lot of physicians are trained that, oh, lymphedema is a swollen arm or swollen leg. And so, um, being like with the training I have, I've actually documented in that patient's, uh, chart to his insurance, uh, sinus infection induced lymphedema, because like, that's what it is. He's had a head CT. He's been on antibiotics for almost six months without any change. And since I've been treating him, he's been sleeping through the night. His headaches have gone down where he's feeling lighter. You can see the change. Like, you know, you're improving things. So I think people, um, you, you're right. Like they get an infection and then the infection festers because we're not draining the way we should for whatever reason, you know, and I, yeah, um, I think toxins are a big one. I wanted to talk before we get too far into the conversation, we just go over that spectrum of lymphedema. Again, you said there's three phases. Yeah. Yeah. Can you kind of break those down a little bit? Yeah. So what's the first phase? I'm ready. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So there is a spectrum of lymphedema and lymphedema is technically like a fluid retention that sat around for more than two months, or you could describe it as a sluggish lymphatic system is technically probably closer to like a stage zero lymphedema. There's a deficiency in the lymphatic system. However, it's not presenting with actual swelling yet. That is closer to the early stages of lymphedema. And then like an elephantiasis or a very hardened limb would be stage three. So stage zero is um, you are at risk for swelling or you can start to feel a little bit of fullness or heaviness, but you don't see actual visible swelling yet. So you might not have any pitting edema, but you feel like I just like my hand feels really full and tight, but it looks fine. I don't really know what's wrong with it. Um, Then as the fluid sits and it hardens and it starts to build. And if you're not doing anything to help the lymphatic system, it's going to um, become a little bit more deficient. So that would progress you into a stage one, which would be, okay, I have some swelling sometimes, but then other times I don't. So on a hot day, I swell, but on a cold day, I'm fine. Um, I had an arthritic flare up. So my joints were swollen for a couple of days, but then I got them back under control. Um, a lot of people experience this around their feet and ankles, they're puffy by the end of the day, not in the morning. That's like a stage one, your lymphatic system's trying to keep up with the load. It's working in overdrive, but it's actually not supposed to work in overdrive. So eventually it's going to crash out. Um, stage two is where you have some stagnant swelling all the time. It never hundred percent goes away. Um, however, you can still pit. So you're not that hard limb. You can still squish and squeeze the swelling. Um, so a lot of people will have this where like their ring, they can't get their ring on and it never goes on. It used to go on maybe in the morning, but now it doesn't go on at all. Um, and then that stage three is pretty uncomfortable and severe. I have seen people who get to that point and haven't had medical care. Um, but I, would hope from listening to this podcast that nobody would get to that point. Um, so even people with, you know, other comorbidities like chronic kidney disease or congestive heart failure who have an increase of fluid in their body can also have lymphedema. You can have both because that system can't keep up with the fluid. So that's kind of, you can swing from just the, you know, I'm in an environment where the barometric pressure changes a lot. Um, And sometimes I feel more tight than other days all the way to, I have repeated infections and either end of the spectrum is appropriate for lymphatic care. 
I wanted to ask you, my next question was actually thinking about someone with congestive heart failure because the the patient that I'm remembering who had that stage three for sure needed the wraps. I mean, it hurt her mobility so much just to walk around. She felt like she was slugging around these heavy, big, heavy legs. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the most common reasons that someone might develop lymphedema? Um, I think of congestive heart failure, just that fluid overload, the kidney failure. My dad, I think is probably in a stage one because he had both hips replaced within the last year. And I'm noticing that his legs will swell. I'm like, dad, your legs shouldn't look like that. Your ankles shouldn't look like that. Mm-hmm. And that makes me worried because he does also have um, some kidney dysfunction. And so I think it's kind of interesting, like how do we tease out where this swelling is coming from and mm-hmm. what are some of the big risk factors for lymphedema? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there are two types of lymphedema, primary and secondary Primary um, is like a genetic predisposition, which is more rare, but it exists. So like Turner syndrome, um, they can find pediatric lymphedema. It's probably more prevalent than we realize. If you start talking to people, it's like, oh, well, my grandma had legs like that. No wonder. Um, yeah. And then there's secondary lymphedema, which is a mechanical um, insufficiency of the lymphatic system. So basically it's been used and abused and now it can't keep up with the load. And it just says, forget it. We're just going to swell. Cause I don't have anywhere else to put it. Um, I think there's a huge variety of, um, etiology of where that fluid's coming from. So chronic kidney disease, congestive heart failure are common. I think it, the lymphatic system has an intrinsic pumping and it also responds to extrinsic force. So I actually had um, a girl who was wearing too tight of high top shoes, (laughs) basically creating a tourniquet around her own lymphatic system. And over time, right, the system didn't like that. So it's really touchy. So barometric pressure changes um, or atmospheric pressure changes um, can hinder the lymphatic system and uh, lymph node removal is a big one. So for our um, oncology populations, if you've had even one lymph node removed, you're at much higher risk to have the lymphatic system get a little touchy or angry and just give you a hard time and not drain like it should. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily always that your body is producing extra fluid. I think it's that the lymphatic system, maybe it could handle, you know, Um, let's just throw a random number out there, like six liters a day in your prime. But then, you know, as it's been maybe a little overworked or you had a really salty diet or you had an injury with an infection, and then all of a sudden there was all this fluid in your body. Um, even IVs after surgery, we're pumping our body full of fluids. If your lymphatic system was already at risk and then it says, you know what, I can't handle this six liters anymore. Then it starts to dump. So it's kind of, you know, uh, what comes first? Is it a condition where you have extra fluid in your body or is it a condition where you have actually normal level of fluid, but your body just can't handle it anymore? So what about after like a hip replacement, like my dad, what would be the explanation for that one? Yeah. So, um, scar tissue actually can cause lymphatic dysfunction. Um, so depending on in the surgery, um, it is possible depending on the quality of the surgeon. Some people aren't quite aware or as delicate around some lymph nodes. 
The um, groin crease where they access a lot for the hip replacement is a huge powerhouse for the lymph uh, drainage in your leg. So it's possible something got adjusted in that surgery. Um, let's say the lymph system wasn't touched, but um, your body sends lymph fluid to heal and that's its normal immune response. So that's actually a good response. You're supposed to have swelling after surgery, but then when it sticks around for that more than two months, for whatever reason, um, likely scar tissue related, normal tissue lays this way and those lymph vessels flow through really nicely. When we get that scar tissue binding down and creating walls, that lymph goes and it can't drain. So it goes back down the leg. That's interesting. Okay. Um, so I think also just immobility, don't you think like Mm -hmm. after surgery? So you said that there was an intrinsic pumping system, which I was surprised by because I thought that the lymph vessels didn't have their own pumping system, like the circulatory system, the heart pumps the blood. Correct. So will you kind of clarify that? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, you're right. There is no central organ to pump the lymphatic system and there's no muscle built into the lymphatic system either. However, it does have an intrinsic force. So it's a pressurized system. So if we picture um, the lymph, you can kind of see it in this photo, but there's this yellow vessel, that's the lymphatic vessel. Um, And then there's these little valves. So what happens is the fluid sitting in between waits until the pressure is larger over here, and then it pushes it along. Now, um, that's the intrinsic uh, mobility of the lymphatic system is very slow. (laughs) It's not a fast pumping system. So the extrinsic forces are really powers, um, the fluid to move faster. So that is muscle pumping. So movement, um, positioning. So elevation against gravity, it's a lot harder for fluid to move up the leg, right. than down the head. Mm-hmm. Um, our heart rate is variable. If our heart rate's slow, your lymphatic system is going to be even slower because it does respond to that pressure as well. And that pumping force, uh, atmospheric pressure, like I mentioned, um, and then compression. So how, like we see a lot of these, um, younger generations wearing really tight yoga pants around the abdomen. And I just am like, or bras, for example, they have done, um, MRI studies on lymphatic flow with underwire bras and what they have found. So the fluid's supposed to go from your breast over our arm drains up, everything comes here and then down the MRIs on people who are wearing underwires have shown, nope, the fluid gets here and it goes right back up because it can't move past that external barrier. So, yes. And something else to note of that, that's important for the general population to understand is our lymphatic system sits right in our first epithelial layer of skin. It's right in that dermal layer. So um, I kind of drew it here. You can kind of see, let's say that's the outside of our skin. that's our lymphatic vessel sitting right there. And that vessel is only one cell thick. So it's very fragile and sensitive and it's collecting what we're putting on our skin, what we're exposing ourselves to, because it wants to clean it. It wants to get us the good stuff. And when we wear, you know, something tight and then we have those indentations or we have a tourniquet or we get poked from shots or vaccines or, um, blood draws, things like that. We have repetitive trauma in an area that lymphatic system is going to say, forget it. And, and possibly shut down. I've had people with, um, 
pretty severe lymphedema induced from like, I had someone who had to have repeated um, pretty traumatic blood draws in an arm, had her lymphatic system intact, but those repeated micro traumas ended up resulting in a lymphatic dysfunction. So it's possible that maybe your dad's system was already kind of on the fence and then mm-hmm. that surgery just kind of pushed it over. But I do think there are um, some really great treatment options for anyone on, on from stage zero all the way to stage three. We can get the lymphatic system doing what we want it to. Yeah. Well, let's move into that part of the conversation. So let's start with like stage zero, which I think most of us can probably relate with, um, especially like you said, if our environment is changing or depending on our clothing choices, um, even like rings in the summertime, you know, like when your fingers get hot and kind of swollen. So what are some, um, things that we can do to help our, our lymphatic system? Let's start like with the early phases and then kind of move our way up. Yeah. So that early phase is really a lot about that lifestyle choice, um, balancing delicately activity versus, uh, rest. So I even see, you know, if you have a desk job, that's going to be harder on the lymphatic system. So, Um, some things that I would recommend to do daily would be, um, diaphragmatic breathing for across the spectrum. And I can get a little bit more sciencey and tell you why. So yeah, yeah, I love to know the why. Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned our lymphatic system mostly drains to the abdomen and then eventually Mm -hmm. makes our way back up to the venous angles to make us to make its way back up, there's this big tube here that runs under the sternum called our thoracic duct. That duct drains 75% of our fluid every day. And it um, sits right underneath the diaphragm or sorry, right on top of the diaphragm is right there. So here's our duct. Here's the diaphragm. So if I'm breathing in to expand my diaphragm and then I exhale. So everyone listening, I want you to put a hand on the top of your abdomen, a hand on your chest, and I want you to take a deep breath. Which hand moved more? We should be using our diaphragm to breathe, the hand that's over your belly. The hand on your chest really can stay pretty quiet. This is where working um, one-to-one with a therapist can be helpful too, but you can see this in the mirror. So If you look uh, sideways in the mirror, you want to fill up your belly like it's a big balloon, a big beach ball, channel all the air down there, and then exhale, deflate the balloon. Doing three to five of those will actually start stimulating that duct to say, hey, I got to clear out. I got to get all this traffic out of here. So that is um, a really basic, and even for people with stage three, they have to do their diaphragmatic breathing also. So that would probably be my number, number one, um, having like low toxins that you put on and around your body. So, um, hypoallergenic lotions, um, you know, fragrance free laundry detergents, things like that, because what's happening when we put our bath and body works on, or we put something that has a lot of scents or a lot of, um, you know, carcinogens in it or what have you not saying that that brand does that, but things yeah. associated, um, our lymphatic system is having to filter all that and work a lot harder. So if we can reduce the amount of um, toxicity we surround ourselves with, our lymphatic system can rest and um, kind of regroup. Um, Drinking enough water. So it sounds opposite to drink more water to get rid of swelling, right? 
Um, but if we're dehydrated, our body thinks, oh my goodness, I'm not getting enough water. I need to hang on to all the water I have. I'm not going to let any of it go. So, um, our, our, uh, interstitial fluid actually collects and grabs that lymph that we should be draining and hangs onto it thinking we're not going to get more. So I need to hold on to what I have. So, um, half of your body weight in ounces, I'm sure other people on the podcast have talked about that, but, um, so if you're 200 pounds, you should be drinking hundred ounces of water a day, more on a hot day, right. When we're sweating, um, a low sodium diet or being aware of the salt in your diet, salt hides, um, and salt water follows salt. So if you have a high salt diet, that water is going to attach to that salt molecule and it's not going to let it go. And then your lymphatic system can't pump it out. Um, so those are probably the four easy kind of biggest day-to-day things I'd recommend, um, extra or bonus points on top of that would be, um, like red light therapy is, has been shown to help increase the lymphatic, um, performance muscle pumping. So regular exercise, breaking it up throughout the day. So two to five minutes, an hour, if you're sitting at your desk, get up, move, stretch, get out of that posture, right. That we get in all day long. Like my lymphatic system is not going to want to pump this way if I'm holding tension all day. So deep belly breaths, stretch, get your muscles pumping, move those legs, move those extremities, um, avoiding extreme temperatures if you can. So avoiding exposure to hot tubs or, um, I don't think a lot of us get exposed to extreme, extreme cold, but extreme heat can, uh, damage potentially the lymphatic system, or at least, uh, tell our body to, Hey, it dilates the lymphatic vessels, which then brings more fluid to an area. So I'd say like 10 minutes of a limit to extreme temperatures. Um, and then manual lymphatic drainage. So that's kind of a hot topic right now, especially on TikTok. <laughs> a friend of mine texted me. She said, lymph drainage is trending on TikTok. Did you do that? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> But there are uh, actual specialty um, lymph activation techniques where we can tell our system to drain 10 times faster than it normally would. So I think uh, Morgan will probably get into that at the end. On I can do a little demo on how to do that. Dry brushing has been becoming really popular. So I have a dry brushing protocol I tra- train my patients on as well. But um, those are probably the best daily lifestyle modifications you can do to to, um, treat your lymphatic system. Well, I would say I'd add one from a water retention would be the sugar, like uh, anything that will raise insulin will raise aldosterone, which can cause more kind of salt and water retention in the body. So if we're working to reduce fluid, I also, I always think of like the refined starches and sugars too. A lot of people think of salt, of course, but those would be the ones that I'd add. I'm all for all those except for one. I'll tell you why. Um, but I have given up perfume. Like, I don't know if you've given up perfume as well. Yeah, I don't do any, and I, I do complete, I actually went, went to the store last night and I bought, um, at Costco thinking I'm getting this like really great plant-based laundry detergent. And I get home and I look at the back, uh, cause I had my three-year-old with me, wasn't able to look, you know, in the store has fragrance in it. And I was like, Oh, so I'm gonna have to take that back and try something else. But yes, I've given up. Right. And it's like, you, you might kind of feel like you're stinky after you give up your normal perfume. You won't have like your same scent, but it's better for your, 
evidently your lymph system, I've always done it from a hormone standpoint because they can be like endocrine disrupting hormones and Mm -hmm. contribute to estrogen dominance in women. So that's one, the one that I'm like, oh man, I didn't want to hear that was the hot tub. We're moving to the farm (laughs) this summer and there's a hot tub at the farm. And that's one of our favorite things, me and Justin, we just love to sit in the hot tub. Oh, I love a good hot tub day too. So don't get me wrong. Just, you know, 10 minutes, get out, really, really hydrate, keep pumping those ankles when you're in there. I was like, I'm I'm, I'm not going to get out after 10 minutes. I can tell you that, but yeah. I'll hydrate and I'll pump my ankles and I'll try to do everything else right. Yeah. And do belly uh, breathing in there then. Oh yeah. But, but for someone who does have like act like your dad, I would say, um, no, yes. 10 minutes is it. Right. You're, you're going to get worse. Yeah. That's so great. That was one of my least favorite things about being pregnant. Like I didn't care about not drinking, but like I cared about not being able to get in the hot tubs so. <laughs> or like a really um, hot bath. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So let's, those are great primary uh, strategies to kind of combat or prevent lymphedema. What if we get into like the stages one, two, and three, I'm guessing none of that really changes, but is there anything else that we add to the protocol or the program then? Yeah, you're correct. So we lay the foundation with those things. Um, And actually, I'm glad you brought up sugars because I do, I talk to a lot of my patients about looking at labels, look at the added sugar. If the protein and the fiber is not together more than the added sugar, then we need to just cut it out. It's like my little easy math problem for people who don't know what I'm talking about when they go to the grocery (laughs) store. Um, But yes. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, So the Further, the lymphatic system becomes um, compromised and the more uh, long-term swelling that sits around, the thicker it gets um, because lymph fluid is a protein-rich fluid. So it's not just water, it's water and protein. And so we have to treat that accordingly. Um, So like a diuretic really kind of just gets rid of the water. It doesn't get rid of the protein. So it's not a great solution for lymphedema. Um, so complete decongestive therapy, that's the gold standard for someone who has active swelling, um, stage zero, kind of the, you know, wellness population who sometimes feels a little bit tight, um, doesn't necessarily need to practice complete decongestive therapy, but then once you get like, okay, yeah, my ankles are swelling at night or I had a surgery and I just can't seem to get rid of this post-op swelling. That's what we need to do the full protocol. So what that looks like is it's four pieces, um, skincare, compression, manual lymph drainage, and exercise. Um, And so you have to do all four of those parts to treat and heal essentially, or um, not necessarily, I should say, I should take that back. It's not healing the lymphatic system. It's supporting it um, to not continue to create deficits. So the gold standard for um, lymphatic uh, wellness or taking care of somebody when they have lymphedema is uh, complete decongestive therapy. And so those are consistent, that is four different parts. And so um, the lymphatic system at that point would need external support to do its job. It Sometimes when we get that mechanical insufficiency, the lymphatic system has been on override for too long it's not necessarily going to get rehabbed and come back. It's going to need this protocol to maintain the swelling and reduce risk of infection and other complications. So um, what that would look like if I had somebody come in that had active swelling, we would definitely start with manual lymphatic drainage. So 
Um, that is a skill technique that can get the system pumping 10 times faster than it normally would. Um, it involves stimulation of lymph nodes and then um, gently kind of breaking down and pushing the lymph system or the lymphatic fluid in the right direction. So that's a manual hands-on technique. Um, and then exercise. So I usually establish a home exercise program with the client on how to move their body, what areas they need to focus on. So if it's foot or ankle swelling, you know, a lot of calf work, toe crunching, hip mobility, um, and then skincare. So this is another one really the general population could do for the lymph system. And it kind of goes back to that getting rid of the perfume or the toxins, but we have to take care of that outer layer of skin to reduce risk of infection and cracking. A lot of um, people with severe lymphedema end up with really cracky open areas because skin gets stretched so thin, it's not well hydrated. Um, so I talk to people about um, hypoallergenic soap and then a low pH lotion like Eucerin is a really good option for people with active swelling. And then um, uh, compression. So wearing some type of compression garment, whether it's just during the day or just at night or both. Um, so that really does involve, you know, the skill of um, a trained professional to measure you for what garment you need, talk to you about the millimeters of mercury, how tight the garment is. What that compression garment does is it creates that container to tell the fluid what direction to go. It's that outside support. So, um, that's what complete decongestive therapy is. And someone with stage one, sometimes we can get away with just a little bit of lymph drainage, some good skincare, a little bit more activity, watching the diet. Um, but then once you get to that stage three, more uh, elephantiasis stage, then we need to do wrapping potentially nighttime, daytime compression. Um, it's kind of a more of a constant thing. So the longer it sits around, you know, the more we have to do to really uh, take care of it. Yeah. I use this analogy a lot, but you know, the longer you delay in solving a problem, the bigger the problem gets. So yeah, the more complicated the solution. Yeah, yeah. And I just, it's, it's really hard for quality of life. You know, people don't want to go out and about if they have wraps on their legs or if their legs are weepy or if they're discolored and it's, it, I think really becomes a quality of life issue. Um, and everyone's different. You know, some people might not even want to be comfortable going out if they're even in stage one. So mm -hmm. I think that's really what it comes down to is a, a quality of life um, situation. So this is an important conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of talked about, you know, what can we do to help our lymphatic system? Let's talk before we kind of go on to medications, kidney dysfunction, that kind of stuff. This is a good place to teach me. So what would you do? What would you suggest I do to try to facilitate some lymphatic drainage from my face with this, um, the sinus infection and like the throat infection that seems to be hanging around. Yeah. So, um, I would always start, well, first of all, um, anyone who's listening, this would be more kind of an individualized thing. If you are, um, pregnant or have active cancer or have like an abdominal aneurysm, I would not do these techniques and then make sure you, um, meet with a certified lymphedema therapist to know what areas to push on. Uh, Cause those can be some more of those contraindications. Um, now I will say some, I will just put the caveat on there. If you have active cancer to talk to somebody, but um, sometimes lymph drainage can still be appropriate. So, um, but for you, Morgan, what I would start with is uh, 
at least five rounds of that deep diaphragmatic breath. So we don't want to go right to the area that's swollen and start pushing. If you think Mm -hmm. about the lymphatic system as an interstate system, right now it's clogged with cars. It's overwhelmed. There's a reason your body's putting the fluid there and not letting it drain. So we have to clear the highway before we push more traffic, right? So ideally your lymph from here is going to come down to your axillary lymph nodes and then eventually come down to the abdomen. So we have to clear here, 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 before we even touch up here. Mm. Um, And I see that mistake a lot with either novel therapists or people who haven't had formal training is, you know, that retrograde lymph massage that we all learn in school. It's like, well, you just push and you just push. And now that makes me cringe because we're a probably breaking open vessels on the surface. And then we're not even addressing the proximal lymphatics and that's what we need to move the fluid. So I have a lot of people where, um, even if they have fluid in their foot, if I just treat the abdomen, the foot will drain because we started moving and stimulating at the proximal level. So we're going to start with that, uh, four to five, feeling all this expand and stretch and fill with air. And then once you get done with that, um, there are four main groups of lymph nodes in our stomach. So right under each rib. Okay. And then kind of right above your hip bone. Okay. So when you're doing lymph node activation, you are thinking of a Ferris wheel and you're thinking of we're not making circles, right? Because if we do a circle over a lymph node, what's that going to do? It's just going to tell the fluid to swish around. It's not going to direct it where to go. So when we're doing lymph node activation on the stomach, for example, our downward pressure is always going to be towards the stomach. And then our upward half of the Ferris wheel is going to be, you're going to lift off and let the skin rebound. So you're pushing down towards the abdomen and then rebound. Here, it kind of looks like that. So I do a couple strokes on those four parts of my stomach, always pushing towards my belly button. Do you start distally? Like, do you start towards the hip and then do the rib cage ones? Yeah. Okay. And always, so push towards the belly button is essentially the, yep. the goal. Okay. Yeah. And if that was a little too complicated for someone, you can just do little, it's called sweeping. So just little strokes towards okay. the belly button. Good to know. Um, And then you would do that at your armpits, turning on those axillary lymph nodes. So these are the regional lymph nodes that drain the head. So always towards the belly or towards the side. You're never pushing towards your breast. Towards the belly or towards the side. Never. So not outside in, but like inside out or top down. Top down. Yep. Top down. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. And then you can follow that with a nice big sweep to your belly button. It doesn't take a lot of pressure. You're just moving that top layer of skin. You're not dragging your tissues with it because like I said, it's all superficial. So we're just stimulating, which is why dry brushing can be really nice because we just get that superficial stimulation. Now that you've gotten the proximal areas um, drained and the traffic moved, you can start kind of up here. If you were seeing a lymph therapist, we would probably do more clavicular, maybe a little bit more um, scapular lymph node activation. But what I would start from here then is to go, we have a lot of lymph nodes kind of at the base of our ear. 
And you're just going to go down to your clavicle and then release. We never do circles. We never go up and down. So just kind of, I sometimes use both hands. You're just gliding the skin down. If you find an area that's more clogged, it'll feel more tender, right? Um, lymph fluid is a white fluid. So it feels like a bruise, but it doesn't look like one when it sits for mm -hmm. a long time. Okay. Yeah. That's why some swollen lymph nodes can get really sore. So okay. if you take a tender area and you can do a little bit more direct pressure, everything's coming down. And then you can kind of remind it where it's going all right. the way down. Yeah. All the way down. And then like back, do I go, do I do anything after I go down the armpit? Um, as long as you end at the belly button, that's okay. You can always repeat your belly breaths and that's not going to hurt, but it takes it a little bit to get out of the stomach to filter and drain. No, that's so. great. All I did was a massage. So that's like a thousand times better. I was just like, yeah, I was doing all the circles. I was going up and down. I had my like essential oils. I was just yeah, going yeah. to town. <laughs> it probably feels good. It's, you know, it's analgesic, but you know, is it moving anything? Probably not. No. Um, so if you want to move fluid, you have to work the central lymphatics. Yep. Exactly. Great reminder. Okay. That was a really good tutorial and hopefully everyone can kind of like take that and not necessarily self-apply. I think this is obviously best done from a professional because when you don't know what you don't like, I'm at the point where like, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And this conversation I, ho I hope is bringing to light the, that the level of expertise that you have in this topic and other people who are specialized, because I think one of my perceptions, and maybe this was one of yours too, when they're just doing this like light pressure, you're just like, are they even doing anything? Mm -hmm. You know, you're just petting me. <laughs> but you are, there's definitely a skill to it. Um, so this is a really good question that we've had. So we have a couple of just kind of questions. So I've been told by my doctor or yeah, I've been told by my doctor, my swelling is just part of my heart or kidney function or a side effect of a medication. My doctor recommends diuretics. What do I do now? So that's mm -hmm. a great question. How would you answer that one? Yeah. So, um, I never recommend people to get off of their prescription meds without their doctors. Okay. Or they're, you know, talking to their pharmacist as well. Um, sometimes we can get lucky and maybe the diuretics are actually still working. And so we can couple that with lymph treatment and then eventually the doctor is okay with them weaning off the diuretics. Um, but the, when you talk to your, go to your doctor and, you know, they say, oh, well, it's just cause your heart's not working very good, or it's cause your kidneys aren't doing what they should. Um, that still is putting a strain on the lymphatic system. It's not really the swelling slapping on a diuretic. Isn't really getting to the root cause. Now I'm not saying that lymph drainage can reverse or heal cardiac or kidney disease. However, um, it can definitely support it, right? We want to support the system to get rid of that excess fluid. So your heart and kidneys can do what they need to do. We have to do that very carefully. We don't want to push too much fluid to an area that's, yeah. um, right? Overloaded. I remember that. And like, as, as a PT and talking to, to OT colleagues at the time, what is that called? It's like when it, when it's over is it's not just overload. It's like, decompression. Oh, um, like, a congest like, um, Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I can see the little, like the little, uh, stoplight that they gave us to talk yeah. about too, but, um, like not like a flare up, but they're in like an, uh, exacerbation, like a CHF exacerbation. Kind I know of, that so. was definitely, um, something that was kind of a red flag, but 
Now that I've been a little bit more seasoned in my practice, I'm learning that if we implement the right tools at the right time, the body um, can, the lymphatic system is intact. It wants to do what it needs to do. It just needs some extra support. So we shouldn't really be hands off with those types of, you know, also uh, comorbidities. We should even be more hands on in terms of we're going to take it really slow. We're going to do one leg at a time, or we'll try compression just a half a day. See how your heart does. See how your kidneys mm-hmm. do. We don't want to overload, but we definitely need to support. Um, so yeah. I would say if you have active swelling, your doctor likely might not know what to do because unfortunately physicians are only trained an hour in lymphedema in school. So mm-hmm. you want to find a certified lymphedema therapist and preferably a board certified one if you can, which that can be found on the LANA, L-A-N-A website, mm-hmm. um, Lymphology Association of North America. They have a really nice uh, directory there. And that would be someone who would be able to look at you and say, okay, yes, you have CHF. Yes, you have, you know, um, you've had a stroke and now you're having some edema, but this is what we can do safely. Totally. We'll link up that, re- that resource for sure in the, in the notes for this episode. Um, so a couple other questions. Um, I've had swelling for years since childhood or early adulthood. Um, can I do anything or is it too late? Never too late, right? I'm sure you say the same for um, insulin resistance. So yes, your lymphatic system um, just needs those supports in place to do its job. Now, I have had a lot of clients who um, after talking and learning more about their lymphatic system and realizing, oh my goodness, I've probably had this off and on really my whole life. Maybe they have a sort of type of primary lymphedema that's really not diagnosed to me. It doesn't really matter where the swelling is coming from because we know how to support the system. So um, I actually had somebody who came in, she's been to a ton of um, providers and wasn't getting any answers. And she got referred to us for like a craniosacral work. And then she's never had cancer, but, um, so her lymph system is intact. However, I lifted up her arm and I was examining her lymph system and she had cording, which is, it looks like there's little guitar strings in your armpit. Hmm. And that is, um, call, uh, that is a lymphatic vessel that's inflamed. It's called axillary web syndrome. And mm-hmm. it actually can make a cord all the way from your armpit down to your thumb and it can limit mobility. It can cause a lot of pain. And I have really never seen that in anyone besides breast cancer clients. And so I knew obviously she has a lymphatic component. Um, And the more we've talked, the more we've realized that, yes, this is a primary thing. She's had this since childhood. Her mother had it, her grandmother. Um, And so lymphatic work has been very effective for her and she's, you know, um, over her seventies. So I, there is never too late. Um, and the lymphatic system is pretty amazing how it just, ah, like it wants to be decongested. It wants to do its job. So, um, yeah, I would say if you've had long-term swelling, get in touch with someone who's trained. Awesome. One of my favorite things that you've talked about this whole time is just that diaphragmatic breathing, like for real, I think we're, we're just, when we're in it, we're in a computer, when we're in the car, it's just, we breathe from our chest, we breathe from our shoulders. Um, and we hear about this, you know, belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, but for me, I need a reason to really do it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably the strongest reason that I've heard. I know it kind of activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, but I like this one better, so I'll keep doing that. <laughs> I was going to say, if you want my plug for like my pelvic, it's also really good for your pelvic floor. So why is that? Tell me why that is. 
Um, so I'm also a pelvic floor therapist, which we haven't talked too much on here about that yet, but, um, and so we, tr- you know, I've treated pregnancy, uh, perinatal, um, postpartum and, um, the pelvic floor is like a hammock right at the bottom. It catches everything sits on our pelvis. It's like the foundation of the house. Our transverse abdominus is like the tree trunks. And then the roof is the diaphragm. Um, and that is our pressure system. So intra-abdominal pressure all comes from those four parts. It's like a soda can internally. Um, when we breathe with our chest, we are not allowing the expansion of that soda can. We're not putting the pressure where it's supposed to go. We're actually adding a lot of downward pressure. Downward pressure pushes on the pelvic floor, adds more strain and makes it work harder. And that can actually result in like stress incontinence, um, uh, bowel incontinence, um, just pelvic floor dysfunction in general, pain with intercourse, pelvic pain, um, constipation. So for lymph and my pelvic floor clients, we always start with diaphragmatic breathing because we need to um, even out the pressure that's on the pelvis and take it up and off. So we're reducing risk of prolapse. Um, We're treating um, any issues with, you know, uh, stress incontinence, engaging the pelvic floor at the right time. So when you take a big belly breath, that gentle, um, you know, that even pressure that's ending up going to go down on your pelvic floor. That is when we need to elongate our pelvic floor. And then exhaling is when we're allowed to do a Kegel or a pelvic floor mm-hmm. engagement or contraction. I don't love Kegels, but um, if you're going to do it the right way, you have to have both and you have to do it with a diaphragmatic breath or you're going to strain and disengage the pelvic floor. So it's like the magic <laughs> bullet is that diaphragmatic breathing. And it does turn on that, um, parasympathetic nervous system. So it gets us out of that fight or flight pretty quickly. But if you, you know, want to take care of your pelvic floor, breath is like the foundation. And then we move from there. Well, I was reading, um, Outlive by Dr. Peter Atia. It's a really good book, very in-depth and he really recommends diaphragmatic breathing and he recommends it to all of his patients. And before his patients can ever start strength training, they have to work, they have to learn stability, mm-hmm. which kind of starts with how they're breathing. And, and so I like that, you know, here's this top level doctor talking about the basics. Yes, of exactly. So it's very, yes. I see people, you know, who go to the gym and they do these, you know, big squats or big weights, but they're holding their breath or they're breathing with their chest. And you're like, you're actually hurting yourself. Like you're, you can cause dysfunction that way. So, yeah. Yes. And I'm, I just, I'm like a constant experiment on myself too, especially like with my exercise routine and at the gym. So all these are great reminders for me too, whenever I'm doing a lift uh, any pelvic floor exercises, just awesome reminders. Um, so I, I know you're an expert in this. You said that this was trending on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we kind of tell people that know their stuff versus people that might just be kind of like an online influencer? How do we navigate this? Yeah, that can be really hard. Um, I am kind of a big supporter of people who have gone as far to get proper training. So definitely the hard part is certified lymphedema therapist is not a regulated term. You don't technically have to have a license for it. You don't have to actually have a certification. Anybody can call themselves a CLT. Hmm. So first and foremost, um, trying to do your background research on where they took their class, um, seeing how many hours they have for training. Like I also 
there are some good therapists or great therapists I've worked with who have taken just 40 hour courses. And then there's some therapists that I don't think do a great job who've taken those 40 hour courses. So the um, gold standard, in my opinion, would be someone who's taken at least, you know, a 300 hour training course and even gone on to get that LANA exam. Um, now you might be in an area where you can't find somebody like that. So um, making sure I think a medical background is uh, definitely important. So um, there are massage therapists. There was a couple of massage therapists in my Norton class. So making sure that they've at least taken the right training. Um, OTs, PTs, actually nurses can go get their CLT. Physicians can as well. Um, so making sure it's someone who at least has that medical background and not just, oh, I've heard about the lymph system. I'm going to do some dry brushing. Um, or like someone who works at a spa, you know, make sure you're kind of vetting them. And then anyone who's had good lymphatic background should understand the importance of those proximal lymphatics. So if you go in there thinking, okay, this looks like a good place. I'm going to try some lymph drainage and they start at your hand or they start at your foot and they don't do anything at your abdomen. That's a big red flag for me. So they need to be um, treating those proximal lymphatics. Otherwise we're really not going to get a lot of benefit. Good to know. Now, before we wrap up, I wanted you to elaborate on dry brushing because we've mentioned it a couple of times, but we haven't dug into it. So what is that yeah. tool that you keep talking about? Yeah. So um, actually at home, I'm sure Morgan, you probably have these around the house, those little baby um, uh, cradle cap brushes with the white bristles. Yeah, we have one. Yep. Yeah. So almost everyone has one of those at your house. That's like a soft, nice dry brush. That's really um, therapeutic and uh, enjoyable for the skin. So that's the kind of level of texture you're looking for. You don't want anything too rough or too scratchy, but um, dry brushing is just a medium, right? To do lymph drainage. You can definitely use your hand. You can definitely use a lotioned hand or an essential oiled hand, a gloved hand. But if you're looking for something a little bit more direct, um, you can kind of gauge the pressure a little bit it does give you that sensory feedback and it kind of stimulates maybe a little bit underneath the epithelial layer. That's where that dry brushing is beneficial. And I do think some people do um, better with home programs when they have a tool or a medium to, you know, it's like, okay, this is my brush and I use my brush for this versus like, oh, I have to massage myself. That feels funny. Um, so yeah, it's not necessary. It is a nice additive, um, I think there's going to be a lot more research done on the sensory benefits for it, especially for like people with neuropathy or some nerve damage. Mm -hmm. So I use that if somebody does have like diabetic induced neuropathy or um, some type of sensory deficit, like from a C-section scar, I will recommend the dry brush over just their hands. Okay. Awesome. Well, this has been a really informative conversation. I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure people listening have learned a lot. Um, Where can they work with you or just learn more about you? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for indulging with me and letting me go on yeah. my, I could get on my soapbox on this. So. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So I'm an occupational therapist with my uh, Nebraska and Iowa license. I work with um, a colleague from mine from grad school, Erica. She owns Thrive Occupational Therapy Health and Wellness. We have a clinic in Omaha on 114th and Dodge, and then also actually in Harlan, Iowa. So if there's some rural um, clientele listening, you can find us there. We also do virtual. Um, we do take insurance um, and we take cash as well. So we're a hybrid model, but we treat a wide range of women's health. So uh, like I mentioned, the pelvic floor, core, fascia, lymphatic, mental and emotional health. Do they have to live in Nebraska or Iowa to do virtual? 
So that's a state-by-state basis. Um, Colorado, I do have some virtual clients from there. We have some interest from some clients in Arizona, but I have to have their license. So, and actually I've had someone reach out from Florida and we we're basically calling each state to see, Hey, can I practice, you know, virtually in your state? Um, now the OT compact is supposed to be going active in 2024, which Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of states that have agreed. Okay. Our license will be a little bit more universal. So that will be coming. Cool. All right. Well, we'll link up all those resources and thanks again. I appreciated this conversation. Thank you so much, Morgan. Good to see you. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. To learn more about Zivli, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention, check out our website at www.zivli.com. That's Z-I-V-L-I.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.